Welcome to the Bunyip and Ayotashli podcast. Welcome back to Bunyip and Ayatoshli, a speculative fiction podcast. This is Bob, your host. Today we have two stories for you, and I think you'll enjoy them. But first, let me ask you to like and subscribe wherever your podcast is coming from. And I thank you just for listening. You can find more about the podcast and the YouTube channel and the Bunyip Bites, which is a short-form podcast available every day. Information about all of those is available at the blog site, bunyipandayotashli.wordpress.com. For the second story today, Robin Walton is back with an excellent story called Unlimited Delta. But first, I've got Jude Marie Green reading again. This one is a story called Cedars, and I think you'll enjoy it. Take it away, Jude Marie. This one is called Cedar. Cedar means love. Never forget that. I made the rockers from cedar. Aunt Susie died before the fire and Uncle Henry's heart with her. I was glad of the burning since it hid what I had done. Black walnut boughs blown down in the forest with stripped bark and green moss. They did well for the arms. The stomach cancer ate her up. Docs opened her up and stitched in a steel mesh for half her belly, but they didn't stop anything. Uncle Henry wasn't going to tell her, but how could she not know? She faded from a busy farm wife to bedridden frailty in the course of months, unable to keep down but a little this and a little that. Henry went from farmer to nurse, or rather both at once, out of his mind with worry over his wife and panic about his herd of milch cows and neglected fields of corn, not yet waist high and needing care. He called me in to help, which must have made him crazy after years of disparaging my living, wild crafting in the woods, harvesting the roots and herbs and berries, living in my own cozy place deeper in the hollow. Their house stood on a hill and I climbed it to sit by Susie as she died. Her weathered old rocking chair sat idle in a corner and her bed was stacked with a pile of quilts twice as thick or more than her own body. She'd never been a beauty, tall and plain and proud, with ivory-colored hair that hung to her knees. Illness didn't lend a deathbed glow, just carved away from her own bones. I saw her with love, and she was beautiful from being familiar. My aunt, who'd sat me on her lap when she rocked in that rocker, and read me Bible stories and sung me choir songs. No more songs, not even words through those ragged lips. I touched her hand so she knew she wasn't alone. She passed along a note. She must have written it long before the writing was steady and measured. A recipe for soup and a little something extra. I passed it back to her. She didn't have the strength of illness so often mentioned in stories, but she had the persistence of a successful farm wife, used to running a house and a farm and hired help and a husband. Four or five times later, I bowed my head and accepted the chore. Tomorrow, I said. She couldn't reply. She couldn't nod. But she opened her eyes at me, and I swear I saw relief. 
The seat was a stone, flecked granite from the hill, carved deep with blue and gray lichen. I poured the soup, herbs, marrow, mushroom, into a fat blue coffee cup sitting unused in the kitchen. I held the mug to her lips and she sipped, slow and steady, the first meal in ages, the last. I closed her eyes with a penny each and settled her hair in clothes and quilts and sat and rocked. Henry would return from the field soon enough, no reason to bother him now. The back was a tangle of morning glory vines. In time, they'd take over if they got a hold. Henry knew what I'd done, of course. Of course he did. Why else ask me there? He beat me and drug me from the house. He followed a few minutes later, leaving behind flickers of flame. We stood and watched the house light up and burn down, the shingles smelling rich of cedar. Henry stood thin in his cotton shirt and overalls and boots and said, nothing left. I think, I think he went to sleep in the barn. I waited the flames out. Morning dew damped the embers, though the ruin was still hot. Heat never bothered me none. I found her room, her bed, her body under the quilt, and I gathered her up. I'm neither big nor strong, but I was sufficient to the task. Henry had prepared the plot and I set her down in it and got to work on the rocker. A body needs a place to rest and so does the soul. Susie's rocker was her headstone now. He raged his way across the field, yelling, how dare I and too soon and leave her be. And when he saw the rocker, he stopped cold. He raced up to knock it over and stopped cold again. What are those? Dunno, I said. He meant the crystals lighting up like fireflies, but I meant the new sprung flowers and herbs I'd never met before. There was no breeze and yet the rocker rocked. No breeze yet the wind of its passage rippled my hair and dried the cold sweat from the nape of my neck. The scent of her perfume grew large, overflowing the rocker, engulfing me. Her silent voice said, thank you. That was Jude Marie Green reading her story, Cedar, which was originally published in 2018 in The Colored Lens. Next up is Robin Walton, as promised, and this is his story, Unlimited Delta. First, Robin, tell us where it was originally published. Casey Ball bought it for uh, Ten Flash, and it was the second most commented story she'd ever published on her website. Great. Thanks for that. Next is Robin Walton. Take it away, Robin. Unlimited Delta by Robin Walton. We have a distress signal coming in. 16-year-old Jenny Alvarez called to her family over the ship-wide comm system. Her father, Fernando, stopped his lunch preparations and stepped to the intercom. You're the captain. Make the call. Already have. 
They're a little over four days from here, Jenny said. Hmm. We have the Delta to get there and then home. Still checking, she said in a tone of voice that meant, leave me alone, I'm working. Fuel, velocity, momentum, gravity wells, mass, Fernando prompted. Dad, I've been a pilot five years and a captain for three. Don't you think I know how to calculate Delta? Fernando laughed after he knew she couldn't hear him and joined Zwan, his wife, who was checking their other daughter's math schoolwork. Is it serious? Zwan asked. But Jenny's working on the solution. So far, it looks like we might have to divert. Divert where? Asked eight-year-old Marie. Uh, another ship is in some sort of trouble, Zwan said. We may have to go and help them out. Well, how long will that take? Will we still be able to get to Ceres before Christmas? Marie had already started her Christmas countdown. We'll see. If we're closest, we have to help. It's the law. More important, it's the right thing to do. Now, back to work. Well, when will Jenny have it figured out, Marie asked. Soon. Dad to the bridge. It was Jenny. See, she probably has the answers now. Fernando kicked off and headed for the bridge. We're going to have to help the Iwata family, Zwan explained. They got hit by a micrometeor and pinholed one of their fuel tanks. By the time they got it squared away, they didn't have enough fuel to get back to Ceres. And because we have fuel and are closest to them, we have to save them, Marie asked. Yes, and that means we'll be 10 days later into Ceres than we planned. So Santa will come to our ship instead of visiting us at Ceres like he usually does, right? Not exactly. What it means is Christmas will be delayed this year, just until we get to Ceres. Marie looked stricken. She was expecting the next doll in the Woman of Space series. She already had Valentina Tereskova, the first one. She was hoping for a Sally Ride or a Dottie Metcalf Lindenberger. You can't delay Christmas, she stuttered. You can't have two Christmas days in one year and none in another year. It doesn't work that way. Santa will just have to find us here. Zwan sighed. Santa doesn't have the Delta to get here. I'm sure he'll leave your our gifts at Ceres. But you always said Santa had unlimited Delta. So he could go all over the solar system and give out all the Christmas gifts. You said he had unlimited fuel and speed. You said. Zwan put her arms around her daughter. Marie pushed off and grabbed the wall. You were little when I first told you that, Zwan said quietly. You didn't understand. You know enough about fuel and speeds and orbits now. Do you think it's even possible to have unlimited anything? Are you saying Santa isn't real? Are you saying you made all that up? Zwan remained silent. With tears forming in her eyes, Marie kicked off her perch, rebounded from another wall, and shot out of the kitchen common room. The sound of her room hatch slamming echoed throughout the ship. Welcome to our humble dinner, Fernando announced to his guests. The seven of them crowded into the common room. Mr. and Mrs. Iwata and little Octavia were more than a little relieved to be heading back to Ceres. They had to abandon ship and most of the supplies and cargo to join the Alvarez family. We are very grateful for your generosity in picking us up, Mr. Iwata said. 
We thank you and we'll pay you back someday. The adults went on talking while Marie took little Octavia's hand and pulled her along. I'll show you where you're sleeping. My sister will be staying with me while you and your parents share her room. Four-year-old Octavia was too scared and too shy to have much to say. Marie, time to eat, Zwan called over the intercom. Two kids retraced their path and joined their families to eat. As Jenny and Marie cleaned up the dishes, Marie eavesdropped on Mrs. Iwata talking to Octavia. So Santa won't be here tomorrow, but he will be in Ceres next week, understand? Marie didn't hear Octavia's reply, but wondered how a four-year-old could understand. She barely understood herself. It wasn't fair. Later, as Jenny readied their sleeping pouches, Marie headed for the hatch. Where are you going, Sprout? Jenny asked. To get some cleaning supplies. I won't be long. Okay. Marie kicked out of the room and down the corridor, clutching the small bundle she'd hidden from her sister. At breakfast, Octavia could barely contain her joy. She thrust her new Valentina Tereskova doll forward. Marie, Marie, look at Santa got me. He found us. Santa Claus found us. Marie examined the doll. Wow, that's beautiful. You know who she is? Valentina, the first girl in space. Yes, they call her Cheka. It means seagull in Russian. Cheka, that's a pretty name. Octavia hugged her Christmas gift. As Marie settled at the table, she smiled. Her mother had been wrong. Santa could go anywhere. He did have unlimited Delta. He just had to borrow a bit from ordinary folks now and then even from eight-year-olds like her. Thank you for that, Robin. That's all I have for you this time. I will be back again in about one week. If you can't wait a whole week, you could, of course, subscribe to Bunyip Bites, our other podcast. It's every day, and it's short and sweet. Well, at least short. You can find out more about Bunyip Bites and this podcast and everything else I'm doing, including the zine at bunyipandayatoshley.com. And I thank you for listening very much. This has been Bunyipanea Tashli, a speculative fiction podcast. I wish you to have a very nice week. I also wish you to, if you will please, like and subscribe in whatever platform you are listening. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.